King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, was only 12 years old when he became king. He was very different from his father, doing all sorts of evil things. He led the people to worship false gods. Things got so bad that God brought the Assyrian army against Manasseh. They put a hook in his nose and led him away to the city of Babylon as a prisoner. In his suffering, Manasseh humbled himself and prayed to God. God allowed Manasseh to be set free and return home. For a few years, things began to improve, and the Israelites began to follow God again. They even discovered the book containing all of the laws of Moses, which had been lost for many years. The people learned once again what it was like to live in God's ways. But soon, things got much, much worse. The kings who ruled over Judah once again led the people away from God. Then one day, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, attacked the Israelites, nearly destroying the temple Solomon had built. He captured almost all of the Israelites, including the best warriors, workers, and artists, and sent them to Babylon. Only a few of the poorest Israelites were allowed to stay to take care of the fields. God sent two prophets, Jeremiah, to those left in Jerusalem, and Ezekiel to those living in Babylon. Unfortunately, the news was bad. Because they had done so much evil, God allowed the city of Jerusalem, their home, to be almost completely destroyed and the rest of the Israelites sent to Babylon. But the prophet Ezekiel told the Israelites living in Babylon that God would not forget about them, that God would one day rescue and restore them. God even gave Ezekiel a vision that he was standing in a valley full of bones. There was a rattling sound and the bones began to come together and tendons and flesh appeared on them and they came to life. God told Ezekiel the meaning of the vision. These bones are the whole house of Israel. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am God. When I was about that age, uh, there was a game that we used to play. Some of you will remember this game. It's called Truth or Dare. Remember that? Well, here it is. They're still playing it today, right? Right. And this is a game where you were given a choice. You could either tell the truth to what was often a very difficult question, or you could take the dare. But you had to do one or the other. And the dares were pretty crazy. I won't go into some like eating a raw egg or different things that they would have you do. But the dare, the difficulty of the dare matched the difficulty of the question. And here's what the word dare actually means because we're going to use this this morning. It's to have the necessary courage or boldness to do something. It's having courage. Now you guys learn about courage. And you learned about what it takes to live in this world. We need to be courageous for the Lord. It's being courageous to do something, being bold to do something, that often is very, very difficult. This morning, we're going to talk about five dares that we're going to see in our story this morning. Now, if you're visiting with us, we're doing a series called The Story. 
which is a 31-week journey through 70% of the Bible. For those who have been with us from the beginning, have been reading every week, by the end of the 31 weeks, you will have read uh, 70% of the entire Bible. And in this series, what you're seeing is the whole story of God. It's God's story and how we are part of that story. And we get to see this, and when we see it, over 31 weeks, we get to see the connections, and we get to see that God was in control the entire time. And in days like this, where there's so many challenges, global challenges, um, epidemic challenges, financial challenges, when there are so many things that are hitting us day after day after day, we need to know that God indeed is in charge. God is in control. And it's all in his hands. He controls all of it. And so nothing catches him off guard. And he works even within the evil things that people do to accomplish his purposes. And so this morning, what we're going to see is five challenges, what I like to call five dares that require courage, require commitment, require a willingness to engage. And Here's the first one that I want you to see. The first challenge is to break the ungodly patterns of previous generations. Now, we've talked about this a little along the way because this is actually a theme that continues, we continue to see. But here's the reality. If you are a parent, there are things that you have picked up from previous generations that you know you don't want to see passed on to the next generation. But it takes courage. And it takes commitment to say, no, it stops here. It stops here. It doesn't go on to the next ge generation. What we see is jo um, Josiah comes to the throne of Judah, the southern kingdom. And Josiah is only eight years old. And he has come from multiple generations of dysfunction, of kings who did not lead well. It began with the end of the, of the reign of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was his great-grandfather. Hezekiah was, in many respects, one of the most godly of all the kings until the very end of his reign. To give you a sense of his heart, listen to this. Then Isaiah, who was a prophet, speaking the word of God to, I to Hezekiah, said, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. In other words, I am going to allow, the Lord said, the powerful Babylonian empire to conquer Judah and to, and to destroy Jerusalem. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Man, that is a hard thing to hear, isn't it? Just in the next couple of generations, everything's going to change. Babylon's going to destroy you. He's going to destroy Judah. He's going to take all that you have and haul it away to Babylon, as you saw in the video just a moment ago. Now, I want you to hear Hezekiah's response. You ready? He said, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought. Listen to what he was thinking. Listen to this. 
will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Here's what he's saying. I don't really care what happens to the generations behind me. All I care about that is in my life, I get to have security and I get to have peace. The decisions he was making that day would lead to the destruction that Isaiah was talking about. But he said, this is good. It's not going to come to my generation. It's not going to affect me. He had no concern for his children, for his grandchildren, for his great-grandchildren. He had no concern about the world, what the world would be like for them. All that mattered to him was him. That was Josiah's great-great-grandfather. His grandfather was Manasseh. We saw Manasseh last week. Manasseh described the most evil of all the kings of Judah. He had one of his own sons thrown into, sacrificed to a false god. He was not a good man. His, Josiah's father was Amon. Amon, it's in the Bible says, followed the patterns of his uh, own father, Manasseh. So the sin of rebelling against God went generation to generation to generation, and now Josiah, eight years old. Is there anybody here eight years old? A couple of you. Can you imagine at this age becoming the king of an entire nation? Becoming like the president of the United States? Now, I would trust these guys, but most eight-year-olds, I'd be a little concerned. Josiah becomes the king. And as king, he has a different heart. He decides that he is going to stand against the patterns and practices of his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his father. Now that's not going to be met with applause. People are not going to be happy about that because he's going to change everything. And he's going to draw and, and push out all the the idols that people have been worshiping. He's going to get rid of all of that. This begins when he's just 12 years old. 12 years old, he begins to call the nation back to the one God. Amazing. 12 years old. When he's 16 years old, he orders that the temple of God, of the true God, the Lord our God, be repaired because it had been so ignored. It had just, it was in uh, disarray and it was while they were rebuilding the temple that they find a portion of the Bible that had been completely lost it was the Pentateuch the laws of God had been completely lost you see one generation was not passing on to the next generation the truths about who God is and his word it had been lost and nobody even really knew it existed that can happen in just a few generations, friends, if we as parents, as grandparents, are not passing on to the next generation our faith and the faith of the Bible as these men are doing with these boys. And so what happens is Josiah, this portion of the, of the Bible is brought to Josiah, who's about, uh, about 20 years old now, and he's, as he's reading it, he realizes the nation has gone completely astray. They have completely gone in the wrong direction. And he is so broken by what has happened that he takes his robe and he begins to rip it. He begins to tear it. 
He is so broken and brokenhearted about what has happened. And he has this portion of the Bible read to all the people. And what happens? There is revival in the land. The people are returning to the Lord. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing movement in the nation at that time. Listen to what we read here in 2 Kings 22. We read these words. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. So he was only 39 when he died. And we won't get into this, but this completely threw people's faith. How could God let such a great king die so young? And we will deal with that later on with those kinds of questions. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Friends, there are things that we pass on to the next generation. There are things that we do or things we fail to do as parents, as grandparents. Sometimes it goes back many generations. Our parents did it. Their parents did it. Their parents' parents lived that way. It takes courage. It takes faithfulness to stand up and say, no, it stops at my generation. One of the things that we need to do as parents and grandparents is to share with our children. I followed the practices of my parents and they were not honoring to Christ. Do not follow my pattern. What is even better is when we recognize it and we say it stops here. Now, what could some of those patterns be? It might be patterns of addiction. Not just drugs and alcohol, but it may be eating patterns. It may be disrespecting our bodies. And, and the Bible is clear that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should respect and honor the bodies that God has given to us and be good stewards of them. It may be the way we use our time. It may be um, our lack of of really building into our children spiritually. You may have grown up in a Christian home where your family never prayed, where your family never talked about Jesus, never talked about the Bible, and you decide, for my generation, this stops here. I am going to be a parent that engages spiritually with my children. It may be a history of divorce, generation after generation, or generation after generation, examples of unfaithfulness. Or it could be anger, short-temperedness. It may be laziness. It may be character issues like dishonesty. And you decide it stops in my generation. What I will model for the next generation is something completely different. It may be fear and insecurity. It may be an identity crisis. And what, what your children need to see from you is that you choose not to have an identity that represent, is represented by the world, but your identity is represented by your relationship with Jesus Christ. That you model for your children what it looks like to be a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. Where your father is the king of the universe. Where God has chosen you and called you to be his forever child. And you live according to that vision of what it means to be a child of God. 
Friends, I want to say to you, we as grandparents, we as aunts and uncles, we as parents, we as older brothers and older sisters have a chance to impact those that stand behind us and live behind us. Let's stand up and take that mantle. And let's honor God in that. Here's the second thing I want you to see. A willingness to change when we're confronted by the living God. A willingness to change when confronted by God. I love this passage. It comes from the prophet Ezekiel. Remember a prophet is one who speaks the words of God. Now here's the problem. At the time that the prophets of God were warning the people that God was not pleased with the way that they were living and they better pay attention or discipline would come, there were other false prophets who were saying, no, 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 no. God loves how you're living. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. Who do you think the people listen to? The false prophets, because they love to have their ears tickled. They love to have people tell them what they want to hear. And God is sending his prophets to speak the truth, but the people and the kings often would not listen to them. Listen to what Ezekiel said. He said, we read this in Ezekiel 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, that's us. Set your face against the mountains of Israel. Prophesy, well this was Ezekiel. Prophesy against them and say, wherever you live, the towns will be laid waste and the high places demolished. So that your altars will be laid waste and devastated. Your idols smashed and ruined. Your incense altars broken down and what you have made completely wiped out. Your people will fall slain among you and you will know that I am the Lord. See, the people were continuing to walk away from God. They were continuing to run away from God. And the Lord would bring discipline upon them. And the purpose of that discipline was for their good. So that life would go well for them. But the prophets, as they spoke, people would not respond to what they said. Because it's not what the people wanted to hear. I've got to tell you, in my life, I have learned that I'm like that. When people tell me things I want to hear, oh, that sounds great. I love that. And then when they tell me something I don't want to hear, I shut it down. I shut it off. I close my heart. One of the things that I do before I go to church, before I read the Bible, or before I hear any kind of teaching on a podcast or whatever, I say, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say to me through this, even if it's something I don't want to hear, right? Open my heart that I can hear the things you want to say to me. I need to hear your truth in my life. Because I know who I am. I want to hear things that make me feel good. I don't want anybody to disagree with me. And yet, God says, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. I can't tell you, um, over the years, this is funny, times when I have been... Um, preaching particularly on um, husband and wife relationships or just on relationships in general, what I see, because I can see you. You don't think I can see I can see you. And sometimes I'll see this. I hope you're listening, right? I can't listen for Beth, but I can listen for me. 
And I trust her walk with the Lord that she will listen to what God wants to say to her. I need to hear from God about the things that I need to do differently. A number of years ago, our kids, we were blessed that uh, of our three kids, none of them were really ever biters, except one time. My wife had been invited by this really cool group of ladies in Scottsdale. They were the, you want to be part of this group, right? So she brought Scott, who was about 18 months old, and Amy, who was probably just a month at that point, and, um, and they were playing at McDonald's in the balls. You know the, you know the balls at McDonald's, right? So he's in there playing, and all of a sudden we hear this blood-curdling scream. And a couple of the moms run over there. And apparently, Scott had our son, who was 18 months old at the time, bit one of the other kids in the back end on the fanny. Now, Beth had a decision to make at that moment. What she could have done is gone and said, oh, Scott, no big deal. That's okay. I know we get frustrated and we have to let those emotions out. That's okay. But Beth had a different plan, and that is that Scott would grow up to be somebody who wouldn't bite other people. He's 33 years old now, and he's an investment banker. And when people, he gets frustrated with somebody, it's not a good idea for him to jump over the table and bite them. And he doesn't do that, and he can thank his mom today. Because she gave him a time out. He didn't get to play in the balls anymore that day. Because he wasn't playing well with others. Now, this is what God is doing to Judah. For a generation, they're going to be driven out of the land, and you'll see that next week. They're driven out of the land, forced to live in a, in a foreign land in Babylon. Most of them are taken to Babylon. Some go down to Egypt. There's just a small group left in Judah. The temple is completely destroyed. The land is destroyed. The homes destroyed. So why would God let that happen? Here's why. God knew that if he let the people continue to live as they were living, they would grow farther and farther and farther away from him. Life would get worse for all of them because God not only calls us how to love him, but he calls us to love one another. And life would have gotten worse and worse and worse for the nation. And so God calls a divine timeout. He drives them to a foreign land where they learn the lesson of faith. Friends, I want to be careful here, and I want to say not everything that's hard in our lives is discipline from God. No. Sometimes we're the victims of other people's evil. But even when we are the victims of other people's evil, God can teach us, and God can work in us. And one of the challenges for the nation, for the nation in that day was this, but the Babylonians are worse than we are. Why would God do this to us? And the Bible says God... Listen to this. God disciplines those he loves. You need it. I need it. And we need to hear the word of God when he brings it to us. And we need to let ourselves be changed by it. Here's a third thing that I want you to see. And this is um, a, an amazing passage. It says, put your trust in God and in his word and not in your own wisdom. 
Listen to what we read here in, in Isaiah chapter 30. Here's what's happening. Hezekiah is at the end of his reign as king. Now remember what we saw last week? Hezekiah, when he was attacked by the Assyrians, what he did was he trusted God. And God was victorious. Remember the great miracle of God striking down 185,000 soldiers by, with one angel? Remember that incredible miracle that saved the nation? Well, something has happened in Hezekiah. He has not fed his faith. He has not grown in his faith. He has not sought the Lord. And he comes to a point where he no longer trusts God. And so what he does, he does the very same thing that the king of Israel had done. And God had brought discipline on the nation for it. He goes down south to Egypt and he enters into a military alliance with Egypt. Why? Because he thinks there's no way that God can be victorious over Assyria again. So listen to what Isaiah says to King Hezekiah. Amazing. Woe to the obstinate children. You know what an obstinate child is, right? We don't have any here today, but you've probably read about it. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, God said. Forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. God was not the one behind this. Heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge, that Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. And that's exactly what happens. The nation, the nation starts to crumble. And Egypt is destroyed by the Babylonians. And when that happens, when that happens, here's what happens. The nation begins to fall. Friends, I want to challenge you with this thought. How many times when you're making a decision do you consult the Lord? How many times when you're making decisions in your life do you come to the Lord and ask for wisdom? And the Bible says that when we ask God for wisdom, he will give to us generously without finding fault. How often do we go to the Lord and ask, for wisdom in the decisions that we make. And I'm not talking about the big decisions. Should I marry this person? Um, or should I invest in this? Should I choose this school? Should I choose this career? I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about every decision. The decisions that you make throughout the day. Are you just saying to the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom in this moment as I have this conversation. Lord, help, us to see, help me to see the things that I need to see. Help me to know where you are calling me to be today. It's, it is an incredible, creates a, an incredible difference. It makes a difference. I have had days where I have just really sought the Lord in the morning, where during the day where normally I would have blinders on going through my day, but when I'm really seeking the Lord in the morning, and I'm walking with him during the day, and, and my mind is on him often throughout the day, he will, there will be moments where I will stop and notice something that I normally wouldn't notice. And it's an opportunity for me to do ministry for the kingdom of God. God will show us things when we really are seeking him. 
and we really are running after him. Here's a fourth thing that I want you to see this morning, and that is love God is the first love of your life. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And this is just an amazing, an amazing story. What we see here is that Jeremiah is warning the people of Judah. And as the nation slowly is being destroyed, he said there's still time to turn around. There's still time to turn our face to the Lord. Friends, as Americans, there's still time for America to turn her face to the Lord. And Jeremiah, his word from God fell on deaf ears. But this is a passage that I have gone to many times in my life, and I want to demonstrate it in just a moment, but I want you to, to follow along as I read it. He says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged, listen to this, their glorious gods for worthless idols. They've traded the true God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let me explain what this means, and I'm going to demonstrate it for you in just a moment. Here's what it means. What is an idol? An idol is anything that we love more than God. What are idols in our world today? Well, all sorts of things. Money. Money's a big idol for our world today. It's anything that is the first love of my life. It can be a relationship. It can be a dream. It can be a hope. It can be power, authority, significance, fame. It can be anything in our world today. We don't tend to worship things, golden calves and things like that. But that, those are one kind of idol. But the idols we worship today are things like security and happiness. Here's what I, how I identify my idols. When I'm making a decision, what's important to me in the decision? If I'm making a decision, am I thinking, okay, what's going to maximize me? Or do I think, what is going to maximize the kingdom of God? Am I thinking just about what I want, or am I thinking about what is best in the kingdom of God? Now, here's what God says. When we, when we pour ourselves into things, into idols, happiness, um, security, power, authority, when we pour ourselves into that, he says, it's like pouring water into a broken cistern. Now, here's what a cistern is. It's easy to understand. You guys already know what it is. You just didn't know this was the word for it, probably. But it's a hole. Remember, Israel did not have a lot of water. So water was precious. It was like gold to them. And so they would dig holes, and they would plaster the holes. So when the water would come down from heaven, it would fill up the cistern, and they would have water. For the people. Now listen to what he says here. He says, they have forsaken me the spring of living water. Okay, what is a spring of living water? It is a stream of clean, clear water that refreshes anytime you're thirsty. What's the problem with a cistern? A cistern runs out of water. 
But a stream never runs out of water. The water keeps flowing. When we make God the first love of our lives, he is the one that refreshes us. He is the one who ministers to us. He's the one who gives us everything that we need. I keep this in my, um, in my office. I actually have two of them. And they were made for me by a high school in Byron Center High School. And here is, uh, and they, did, they made it special the way I asked them to make it. Now, I want you to watch this. I want you to imagine it's raining. Okay, the rain falls. Here's my cistern. I've dug the cistern. Remember what he said? Idols are, idols are like a broken cistern. And so the water comes in as it's raining, and here's what happens. This is a broken cistern. Frank's going to be mad at me. This is a broken cistern. Do you see how the water's pouring out? So what happens? i got to keep pouring water in here. This is what God is saying, and it's true. I found it true in my own life. If I love first anything other than God, it's a broken cistern. See, it satisfies me in the moment, but it just drains right out of my life. And I have to keep getting a hit, a hit, a hit. People with addictions, you know that's true. They get high for a moment, but it just, and then they got to do it again. They got to keep going back and back and back because it never satisfies. You were not made to love anything as the first love of your life except the Lord your God. One of the first, when the early fathers said it this way, your heart will not be at rest until it finds its rest in God. In the true God. You see, he is the one who fulfills us. It amazes me when I look at the stories of, of people in America who have everything we think you need and are told you need to be happy and satisfied. And yet they're some of the most miserable people when you hear them interviewed. They're miserable. They have all the fame, all the fortune, all the relationships. They have everything we think you need to be happy, and they're miserable. Why? Because they are filling their lives with a broken cistern. And it just comes and it pours out. It cannot satisfy because God did not make it to satisfy us. Now there's nothing wrong with those things, most of those things I mentioned. Nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with fame. There's nothing uh, wrong with, with authority. Nothing wrong with these things. The problem is when they become the first love of our lives. And here's the last thing I want you to see this morning. And it'll set us up for next week. Hope in God's promises, even in the face of hopeless situations. Some of you are in a situation right now in your life and it feels hopeless. I want to challenge you to read this passage today. Ezekiel 37. God has used it in my life many times, many times. Times I've been discouraged. God has brought me back to this passage. Here's what's happening. Ezekiel is speaking to the people who are now living in exile. Can you imagine? They've been dragged away to live in a land. They don't know the language. They don't know the culture. The, their place of worship has been destroyed. And, and they feel hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. And God gives Ezekiel this vision. He gives them this vision. Listen to what it says. 
Then God said to me, son of man, these bones, he sees this valley of just bones, skeletons. Bones, they're not, it's so old that the bones aren't even connected together anymore. Our, and uh, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They're us. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Have you ever felt hopeless in life? Have you ever felt so discouraged, you just felt, felt like there was no hope? No hope for your future? Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign God, the God in charge, says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've been discouraged, gone back to this passage. Here's what I do. God makes a promise to Ezekiel. What's the promise? The promise is they're going to get to go home again, right? They're going to get to go back to, uh, to Judah. They're going to get to reestablish the land. They're going to go home again. Well, they are powerless to change their circumstances. Now, there's two kinds of people who will live in the land. There are those that heard the word of God, and they believed it, and they were hopeful. So they lived in this foreign land with hope. God's going to take us home again. I don't know when. But he's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. And so they lived with joy even in these difficult circumstances. Second kind of person. They heard the promise of God. And they didn't believe it. And they continued to live with hopelessness. Friends, I want to close with this. God has given us great promises. Great promises. Do you believe them? Do you believe them? God has said he'll never leave you. Or forsake you. Do you believe him? He says that his love will always be there for you. You will never know a moment by faith in Jesus where you are cut off from the love of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe the promises of God? He says in Philippians 1.6, he says, He who has begun a good work in you, speaking of God, who has begun a good work in me, he will continue it until I am complete. He won't give up on me. People may give up on me, but God never will. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to pray for any here this morning who need to hear these words of hope. Lord, I know that many are struggling with different things in life. Different heartaches, different struggles, different, different things that they're dealing with. And Lord, I pray that they would look to you that they would trust in the promises that you have made. They are not alone by faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, Lord, you are there. You are holding them. You are strengthening them as they allow. Lord, I pray for us all as we struggle with the idols of our American culture today. May we love you as the first love of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.